0: Everyone. Welcome to the UN Country Business Operation Podcast from the United Nations Development Coordination Office here in New York. My name is Tobias Froh, and I will be hosting this podcast. In conversation with my guests and panelists, we talk about different aspects of the United Nations Secretary General's efficiency agenda that serves as the foundation for the UN business operation reform. This podcast aims to create a space for conversation. On the logic and process of UN business operation reform and how the ongoing set of reform projects are designed to reduce the operation cost while enhancing the system performance. For good reasons, when it comes to the issue of UN reform, there is a lot to cover. Perhaps it necessitates detailed and long conversation that I'm afraid a few would dare to listen to. Therefore, to make this podcast useful, we pick one single policy topic relevant to the UN Business Operation Reform and discuss it in one episode. The major themes of this season include the UN Business Operation Strategy, or what is called BOS 2.0, the establishment of common back offices, or CBO, and common premises, or CP. For the first episode of this podcast, I have invited Lars Tussizen, Chief of Country Business Strategy Branch at the UN DCO or United Nations Development Coordination Office, to set the tone for the next episodes of this podcast and briefly discuss with him the history of the UN business operation reform, its current status, and its prospect. Lars, thank you for joining me in this episode. Thank you, uh, Tabish. Uh, very much appreciated. Let me start by asking you to put the UN organisational and structural reform into a historical perspective. What makes this series of UN reform distinct from the previous reform efforts? Where do we stand in terms of the overall progress?
1: Um, listen, the reform. The reform process, as such, is not new. I mean, the whole u n system has been going through uh, different reform initiatives and waves, if you wish, for decades. And that's a question you often hear, like listen, what is what uh, why do we keep reforming? Uh, and at the end of the day, any organization, in particular larger organization, but also smaller organizations need to keep changing and, and basically reforming in order to to adjust to the to the new demands of the times, right? The the demands at a at a local level are not static. They they evolve over time as a country and people evolve. So when it comes to the UN reform, it is an example of, of the changes within the UN system. And the current reform wave is not new at all. I mean, the UN has, like any organization, has been uh, changing and reforming. But the first time that it really got structure uh, and, and, and in the format of a strategy was uh, under Secretary-General Kofi Annan, where for the, we moved from almost reform by project, like individual smaller pieces, into a more broader reform strategy. Uh, which guided the the changes the UN needed to make uh, to adapt to the new and modern world. Uh, again, like any other entity would. Um, it went through different iterations. So uh, you, you many people will know and many of the listeners cool. will know that Delivering as One, for example, which, uh, which was in the, before 2010, where we had pilot countries testing different business models, being it in, in programming where joint annual work plans were introduced or in funding where the one fund was introduced and uh, also business operations was part of that. Um, that then after the delivering as one, for example, was was evaluated as an independent report on delivering as one where people from outside the UN give their honest opinion on what's, what worked and what didn't work. Uh, that fed into the, into the reform wave after that, which is after 2012. And that's also, for example, in our area that my teams work on and that we all together work on <coughs> that is where the business operations strategy got developed. Uh, that was a direct result from the observations made in the independent uh, evaluation that common operations didn't move as well as certain other areas, um, that there were uh, fewer fundamental reforms made in the UN to enhance our operations, to make it cheaper, to make it better. Uh, and as a result, a direct result of that, a business operations strategy was introduced in, in 2012. So that's an example how one reform wave builds on the other.
0: Lars, I know you have worked for various UN agencies, therefore, you know you know the vastness of the UN bureaucracy. Reforming a, a large organization with a long history obviously isn't easy. It impacts how changes received and embraced, or even perhaps rejected. My question is, how the vastness of the system might impact the process of UN business operation reform?
1: Yeah, that's an excellent question, Tabish. And... Um... Listen, the UN is a huge system. Uh, we got well over 100,000 people involved. We got, uh, we got well over 40 different entities because the UN is such, yes, we are one organization, but it actually consists of many different sub-organizations, if you wish, which is a complicating factor uh, for the reform of any change management project that you need to execute. Uh, it becomes even more complicated once you start talking about the global reforms that we're executing now, right? For the business operations side on the boss, on the common back offices, the more entities and the more people are involved, of course, it adds to the complexity uh, of the projects. Now, what you say with, with resistance to change, when you do change management, when you engage in change management, there's multiple tracks normally that you would address. One of them is a technical track where you look at the technical designs, the new business models, and although those are complicated just by themselves, they are uh, very different from another track, which is called the behavioral change. For, for a change to ground, for a change to really realize its objectives, you need to hit all the different tracks on the change management at the same time. You can design the perfect business model, which UN has many times done, but still the reform or the change gets stuck or doesn't realize the results it intends, because the people that make up the organization are not not taken along in that journey, in that conversation. So it is extremely important, um, and that's what we are doing in the common back office projects and the BOSS projects, to have continuous conversations with the different stakeholders. And different stakeholders, there's there's many. You're talking here about staff because you're changing their day-to-day work, right? The way they do their work. So they need to see the added value of it. And that's, that's the conversation you need to have for them. What is this gonna mean for your work? You need to allow them to feed into that process to create that buy-in and reduce the the resistance to change. But it's also about uh, at the level of the UN SDG, you know, what executive directors are sitting who are looking at their organization as a whole. There you need to establish that business case and what we call the change drivers. Why does it make sense for me? Uh, One argument you often heard, for example, is that many entities say like, listen, yes, I can see the benefits from the UN system, but i am one entity in that system so what is the benefit for me because ultimately i report to my board exactly. so you need to you need to engage these different stakeholders you need to identify what drives and what is important to them and you need to link your change projects to their objectives how does it benefit them at the end of the day and if we benefit the different stakeholders as a whole we benefit the un system so that is essential uh-huh. to to generate a behavioral change
0: Lars, uh, uh, I have to stop here just for this question. What are the drivers of the business operation reform?
1: As I mentioned before, when you were asking, I mean, there's two things that drive the business operations reform. It is the cost avoidance or efficiency and quality or effectiveness. So if we lower our cost because we do it faster, we have less labor time, staff needs to spend less time on a certain activity that lowers the cost for the UN. Labour cost is uh, well over 60% of our main cost, right? So if we can ensure that Tabish or a person in, in the field spends significantly less time to get a certain uh, a goal reached or a certain activity done, we save the UN a lot of time. Now, that money that we that we save by making the UN faster, for example, that stays into in our project budgets. So that means that money can be spent on other Program activities, so you pay less for the operational services, which means more money stays available for programs, and that benefits the host. So that is how operations, if you make it leaner and more agile, how operations directly contributes to the program impact and therefore the SDGs.
0: lors I have heard you uh, talking about the efficiency agenda, the vision of the Secretary-General. Uh, I'm interested uh, to know what are the pillars of the efficiency agenda. And what elements it consists? Listen, we
1: we started talking about the reform, right? But the reform has got many different aspects. It's like a diamond, a facet, uh, many different facets of the reform. You have them in program and leadership and funding. And one facet of that diamond, of of the reform diamond, if you wish, is business operations. And the business operations reform is more commonly referred to in this current reform wave, if you wish, as the efficiency agenda. So it's the same thing. It's a business operations reform. It used to be called one operations under the delivering as one. Now it's called the efficiency agenda. And why? Because the member states um, uh, and other stakeholders in the UN, they want to see the UN become more efficient and effective. Now, those two words have been used a lot in the past, uh, but in business operations, they're very well defined. Efficiency is about how many resources we spend in order to get something done being it in procurement or human resources how much does it cost it to get to the end result of that process effectiveness is how good are we doing it it's quality right so one is the cost element of it efficiency the other one is the quality element of it it's 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 um, effectiveness so in the in the for the business operations reform uh, or the efficiency agenda the whole agenda is shaped around these two concepts cost avoidance and quality in other words, efficiency and effectiveness—that's what is being measured. And we, this agenda is shaped in eight different elements, uh, which is a nice thing with the business ops. It's very, very clearly defined. There's a UN SDG efficiency strategy, which which reflects the vision of the uh, SG and the UN SDG. Then there's there's projects underneath that strategy, and that makes it very well uh, defined. So we have the mutual recognition. Statement, which is a very uh, is a key milestone in the reform effort. You have the client satisfaction principles, which talk about quality and how important it is to manage the quality from a client side because it builds trust. If you get bad services for your mobile phone on a private private level, if your service provider is not good, it's not delivering quality to you, that, that erodes the trust. And that's therefore the, the, the solution may not work for you. Right. So that's that's client satisfaction. You got costing and pricing principles, which are about the cost. How much can you charge for a service? Is that transparent? Those three things are called the enablers. They don't generate efficiency gains by themselves, but they are necessary for the other five components to function. So the other five components are the business operations strategy. That's now mandatory. 31 countries must have it in place by the end of next year, 2021. You have the common back office, also a mandatory piece. Uh, all country teams must must set up a common back office. You have the global shared service centers, which deals more with the large-scale global services as opposed to the country-level services. So these are very large-scale uh, uh, single service centers that provide certain types of services. And then you have the common premises, which is the co-location. Uh, common premises is at the same time also an enabler. If agencies are co-located together, you can do more services together the boss becomes more effective the common back office becomes more effective but also it generates uh, in some cases cost reductions or better quality around the building so those are the different elements of the efficiency agenda Tavish uh,
0: uh, th- thank you for the explanation Lars uh, before uh, jumping to to the particulars questions on boss CBO and CP that I know these are the global scale uh, projects currently going on uh, maybe maybe it's, it's time because we are in the week of the General Assembly. I was reading uh, in the Council on Foreign Relations a very detailed feature uh, article on how the UN needs to reposition itself while the global threats and the emerging threats from pandemic to the global order is facing the agency. Uh, I was wondering how business operation reforms enables UN as the entity to meet the 21st century challenges. There should be an interlink between what is done in terms of business operation reform and what UN is delivering at the global level. Can you explain uh, this these, these interlinkage uh, Lars? Uh, I can I can certainly attempt
1: to, although the question of course is, is very broad and again has many different uh, aspects to it. But listen, the, the demand of for for the UN to respond, the demand for services of the UN, it's something you cannot predict. It's 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 um, flexible. It, it depends on the times. Look at COVID, the COVID pandemic, for example. Nobody saw that coming, so you cannot predict that. The system needs to be agile enough to adapt to an unpredictable demand very quickly. So, from the business operations perspective, there's no point in trying to prepare for every single emergency situation or pandemic situation that you may have i mean there's just too many options right that's not an effective or efficient way of doing things but what we can do is we can re-engineer uh, the 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 way the un works from a business operations perspective and make it more flexible and faster that's the quality element under the bos and the common back office so that when Uh, the UN is faced with new demands for services or needs to adapt to a rapidly evolving situation, that we can do that in very quick uh, quick fashion. Now, that's not an easy task because the UN is a huge system. So uh, the business operations reform aims to shorten cycle times or the time it needs to do a certain thing, to do recruitments, to do procurements, so we can be faster, more agile. And that is how we impact our programs. If we can recruit fast, say you got a flooding situation, you got a humanitarian crisis on your hands, say you got an active conflict breaking out, which could be at any given time, we cannot anticipate conflict or the nature of the conflict, but we can anticipate that we as business operations need to recruit fast, uh, procure fast, uh, be able to deploy the support structures much faster than we're doing now. And that is what the business operations reform focuses on. We make the system agile, so that the system can then better react to the demands from the outside world, because that is an element we can control. You cannot control external factors, external shocks.
0: Uh, Lars, you mentioned how uh, uh, how COVID impacted uh, not just uh, the business operation reforms, but the entire global scale of all operations across the world. Uh, I was uh, I was keen to know. Uh, how it impacted uh, the project like Bosch and what is the global uh, status of progress on the Bosch, CBO, the common back office and the common premises?
1: Um, I'll take those two questions a bit separate. First, the COVID response. Um, DCO uh, is collaborating with New York University on an assessment in how many countries the, the business operations strategy is such was used to, uh, to structure and formulate the response to the COVID pandemic, being it's procurement of PPE, uh, personal protective equipment, or warehousing or logistics, moving goods from one place to another. And that report will assess in detail uh, what, to what degree the, BIO, the business operation strategy was used, where it worked very well, and were areas where we need further enhancements. But in general, we hope in the future, the business operations strategy is all about the joint operational response The the service the UN does uh, engages in jointly. So it is perfectly suited for emergency response. It, it aims to, to as I said, make things faster, more agile and coordinate our response over the many different entities that we have. And you saw that in COVID in a COVID response because the urgency was so high at that moment, people talking about behavior, people fall back on what they know. And what they know is their own individual uh, efforts, right? That's how they've been doing business for a long time. And so we hope to see, um, uh, we hope of course not to see another uh, pandemic or or disaster happening, but uh, if it does happen, we hope to see more UN country teams using the boss preemptively to structure their emergency response. And what you're thinking about then, is we're working, for example, at OCHA to define in procurement what are the essential services, what are the essential contracts you need to have in place given a certain type of emergency, to ensure that those contracts are in place at the, at the local level but also at the regional level, to know where the warehouses are and what's in the warehouses, what are the buffer stocks, so that information flows across the different entities, uh, to know what the logistical arrangements are, for example, when you need to airlift um, people that are infected or you need to move goods from A to B, that we know what arrangements are in place, that if they are needed, they can be activated. And that ties back to your previous question. We're making the system more agile. You cannot prepare for uh, a war in country X between five parties. You just don't know. But what you can do right. is get it ready, and the force plays a role in that and can play a bigger role. Uh, in emergency response including pandemics and we're, we're preparing supplementary guidance in this regard uh, together with Ocha which we hope very soon to pre- uh, to present to the UNSDG. SDG with regards to your question on the boss and the cbo and the common premises do you want me to speak to that
0: uh, i mean uh, that would be nice if, if if we can have a short uh, explanation on them
1: okay so The business operations strategy is a strategic framework, right? It's a planning framework. It's the same as the cooperation framework, which guides UN programs in each country. So each of the 131 countries must have a business operations strategy in place the same way they must have a cooperation framework in place, which is the program side of things. So when we launched um, the new BOSS 2.0, the new methodologies, uh, that was in November, 2019 and at the moment of this interview we're now in September 2020 so we're less than a year ahead. Um, To date we got 130 out of 131 countries moving on on their boss design which means 130 UN country teams are either already finished, I think 26 of them are finished at this point um, and the others are uh, are in various stages of development but another 30 I think are the 29 of 30 are at the sign-off stage or the quality assurance stage, which is just before the sign-off. So that is moving very well and that gives us the, the, the strategies. We can see exactly which countries collaborate in which areas, whether it's it's facility management or procurement or fleet management or ICT or human resources. We can see that exactly all across the globe. And not only that, under, under that boss, now that these countries are moving forward so well, we, will, we know exactly for each country what is the impact in terms of efficiency and effectiveness of the BOS. We can say the dollar value, what is the cost avoidance in Malawi or in Myanmar or in Ukraine. We can see that exactly. And we can also say that by you an entity. So we can talk again about the behavioral change. We can tell that entity like, look, in this country, this is your benefit. This is the lower cost you got. This is the quality you're getting. In, and if you add all that up between the different countries, we can say that for a region. And if you add all that up, we can say that globally. So we can go to one entity, whether it's UNICEF or WFP or UNDP or FAO, doesn't really matter. We can tell them what the impact is. And that supports the behavioral change component you asked about earlier, because we can make the case very clearly. Not that we think it is good for them. No, we can tell them with data that is good for them. So the progress on the boss is good. Uh, we're on schedule. Uh, it, it unlocks many different avenues that we didn't have before, a lot of data that can inform new strategy, new policy design, which is exciting, uh, truth be told.
0: Uh, and before uh, asking you on uh, to, to explain uh, uh, the status on CBO, uh, what is the, the, the link between BOSS and, for example, cooperation framework within a particular UN city?
1: Well, the, the cooperation framework deal, uh, handles or manages uh, UN programs, right? So you talk about governance and climate change and uh, gender equality and uh, food security, you know, the SDGs type of topics. Uh, that's, that is reflected what a country does in those areas, what they plan to achieve in, in a cycle of often five years. Um, that is reflected in the cooperation framework, like based on their The strengths of the UN and the demands from the governments, they say, "Okay, listen, in this country X, we're going to focus on climate change, governance, uh, food security and education or health or whatever. That's what the cooperation framework does. The boss looks at that and uh, at different points in this, uh, when we design the cooperation framework, a program staff sits together with the operation staff and then the program staff says, listen, we got to scale up. Uh, our education programs, uh, we need to go to four different uh, provinces, for example, because that's part of the scale up. We, we don't have uh, enough impact in those provinces. Um, but in those provinces, we don't have the presence and we have four agencies who who are participating in this education program. So how are we going to do that? And then ops staff advises the program staff, like, listen, in terms of setting up the buildings, getting the logistics and the fleet done, the security requirements, the ICT. The recruitments so the operation staff talks to the program staff how they support that program to move forward so programs and operations are the same they're part of the same coin talking about behavioral change in the un you often see silos you got program staff doing something and an op staff does something uh, does something of, of their own the boss uh, process brings these two groups together because ultimately without a program operations doesn't have a reason to exist but at the same time, without the operations, the program won't be able to deliver. Because also, when it comes to programs, uh, it's often a series of procurements or moving goods from A to B, or technical advice, which is recruitments. So it is the same thing, and that's uh, one of the strengths of the Tabish.
0: And uh, what are uh, the progress we're making on uh, CBO and CP? CB? I know the global rollout is there. Uh, the first phase is happening. Uh, but uh, tell us more about it.
1: Well, the C- the common back offices, CBOs, they are the next step, building on the boss. So now you have a strategy, the boss, and you know the areas where you want to collaborate in, where we're going to do things jointly because it's cheaper or because it's better, right? Again, cost of, cost of avoidance, quality. Um, but there's a there's a natural limit to what you can do under a boss. Like, for example, most bosses are managed by what you call operation management teams at the country level. We call them OMTs. But these people have regular jobs. They do the boss on top of what they normally do for their agency. You see the operations managers in UNICEF and UNDP and WFP, UNHCR. They sit in this OMT, but they still have their day-to-day job, right? So one of the, the big challenges that we often hear from the field is that there's only so much they can do. There's only so many hours in a day. Most people also have families and a social life. So, you know, uh, there's only so much you can really do, even if the boss identifies 40 services that would have high impact on either co- lower cost or better quality, they won't be able to pick up the 40 services because there's no, not enough labor to do that, to manage that, to design that. And that's where the common back office comes in. The common back office creates a single service center in each of the countries. And this service centers will manage processes. So part of the impact, one important impact element is that the OMT and the existing staff doesn't have to continue to develop and design the bosses and manage manage the services. So it lowers the work pressure, it frees up labor on the agency side by having the the common back office uh, take over those functions and execute them for them. Now, what that does, because you've got a dedicated team, you can now scale your bosses. Those 40 services that you have in your, CBA, in your boss, they may actually now be picked up under now once the common back office is in place, because you've got a dedicated team there. That natural cap is removed, and that's how the one of the ways in which the common back office contributes to efficiency. It frees up labor on the agency side by creating that dedicated capacity in place. Now we're currently in phase one. Common back office is um, a very different uh, a very different project compared to the BOSS. The BOSS is strategic framework, as we talked about. Common back office, you need to really set up a team. You need to look at how the processes work. You often need to re-engineer processes to, you know, instead of each agency having their own procurement and their own HR and their own ICT, or whatever it is in that country, you now have a single unit doing that. So it removes that duplication, but at the same time, the process therefore changes because where previously the, the I don't know, the UN Women Procurement Officer was doing certain things, now it's a CBO, so it is more complex to design. But that, for that reason, we have much, many more uh, much heavier support structures in place from the UN SDG to help countries go through the design process of the common back office. So we're currently focused on 10 countries, for phase one, um, and we're gearing up our teams. The the technical, the detailed technical methodologies uh, are almost done now. We have the UNSG approved high-level methodology, so there's progress being made. But we're in the very early days.
0: And uh, where we stand with the CP global rollout?
1: Common premises, as I said, is an is an essential enabler, right? If if agencies are co-located in a common premises you can do many more services jointly you can leverage each other better but it also has a representational value to have all the un entities on the one single roof it's easier to access the un it has a certain advocacy and and and, uh, benefit as well now when we started the secretary general as opposed to the boss and the common back office which is mandatory for all countries the Secretary General and the General Assembly, they set the target for common premises to 50% of UN premises. Now, it took a little while, but not all premises can be integrated. It can very well be that, that, I don't know, that UNICEF or WFP has one field office, there's nobody else there, so there's nothing to integrate. So we we cleaned the data up, um, and currently we're looking at uh, around 2166 premises globally that's the total number uh, out of which 476 are joined at this moment that used to be 17% of the whole now we're at 22% of the whole so we made some progress but with common premises there's a there's a difficulty there because Either the government gives a free building, rent-free building, which uh, is in many cases, in many countries the case. And uh, I think uh, recently we saw in the Asia in the Pacific region, we saw multiple governments offering rent-free buildings to the UN. But even if you get a rent-free building, you still need to adapt it for the UN, right? I mean, there's different entities moving in. You need to uh, redo the building to a certain level, maybe rewire it. And that requires money. And in addition, in countries where the government doesn't have a building available that meets the UN, uh, for example, security requirements or the size that of the UN. um, There were certain countries who are, for example, building, constructing buildings, and that's even more difficult because that that requires millions. And the UN does not have dedicated capital uh, investment available for those for those projects. So that is a challenge we're dealing with now. Um, we're analyzing what exactly the capital requirement would be to get to that 50% and giving the General Assembly different options like what? how much money would you need if it's 40% or 30%. But in the absence of, the, of capital in order to refurbish buildings, move agencies, or in exceptional cases, build or construct, uh, it's, it's very hard to move that needle unless governments, member states, governments, host governments, uh, step step forward and and offer the UN the rent-free premises uh, to co-locate them.
0: Uh, Lars, before I uh, let you go, uh, uh, I have two questions. My second last question will be, as you mentioned, there is this fundamental need of creating harmonization and synergy, not just within the UN, but across all the UN cities and OMT members and all colleagues that they are becoming part of this business operation reform. What is the current level of uh, cooperation that you see from the field level coming top, bottom up, or the cooperation top down? Uh, I mean, and how will you sustain this organizational momentum? Because as as we move forward, uh, that is the case uh, with all big organizations, Keeping the, and sustaining the momentum is a tough job. Uh, I know uh, there is a lot of expertise involved in keeping that. Uh, but, but what is your assessment of the, the level of cooperation that you're receiving for this big and huge project?
1: Well, Tommy, it's, it's, it's an excellent question. I mean, let's, let's start by the fact, I mean, the UN doesn't come from zero. There, was, there, there is a lot of collaboration at the field level. I mean, many of our field colleagues, they are very pragmatic. They need to get a job done. And I've seen extremely solid uh, examples of collaboration between agencies without any any problems uh, being it in Afghanistan or, or Malawi or Brazil or different countries. So let's, let's start by recognizing a lot of it, a lot is already happening. Common services is not something we introduced last year. What we are doing is we're structuring it and we're scaling it, right? Um, So I got good hopes for the future. I mean, there's many areas of collaboration that could really significantly expand the impact of the operational reform. Uh, There's areas in uh, procurement can be further leveraged. Uh, Personally, I think human resources, the common back office will play a key role in that. Uh, But sustaining the momentum that requires continuous uh, attention, you cannot launch a project, uh, communicate around it and then go silent. You need to you need to continuously engage also to see whether the demands for services, the demand for what type of changes are needed to stay tuned in with what is required. But you also continuously need to engage staff. Like, again, as I said, under the behavioral uh, change uh, question you had, you need to engage staff and other stakeholders continuously on what the benefits for their entities are. How does business operations reform benefit children? Because that is what UNICEF wants to hear. I am here for children, education, health, you name it. That's what I do. So you've got to be able to translate the impact of lower cost and faster services. How does it impact their ability to deliver for children? Because that's what they do and that's what they want to hear. And you need to do that on a continuous cycle. Staff turns over, you get new people coming in, other people leaving. So you continuously need need to communicate, 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 but not just communicate, you need to engage. You need to have dialogues, and platforms where staff can say like listen i think i think we need to do this because there's there's a lot of different uh, opportunities and approaches out there and we don't hold the perfect truth in our hands either we have very experienced teams but there's very good ideas out there of people who have true experience with how 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 things work and one by one we will tackle them as i said reform comes in waves so one by one we we pick up the high impact ones and i hope that we can uh, create standardized services that we can push out on through the business operations strategies delivered by the common back offices to the countries to help the countries deliver their their programs better, their mandates better, so that we have that impact in the host country for the people.
0: Because that's what the UN does in the end. And and the last question will be, uh, what milestones we're expecting to meet? by the end of this year. I know the project milestones are set uh, to 2021, but for the next three months of this uh, year, uh, what do we need to push for? Uh, If if, if you can elaborate on that.
1: Well, Thomas, 2020 uh, was a year, uh, even for DCO uh, who's coordinating a lot of the reforms, we were scaling up, right? We're recruiting uh, all the teams that went through massive change ourselves. So 2020 was for us, anyway, a year where we focused very much on our own human capacity, our ability to to support the UN country teams. Once we get these people on board, to get them trained, to get them exposed to our ways of working, because they come with their skill sets, of course, and they're very experienced people, but they need to know exactly what is, uh, you know, the, the ins and outs of the boss and the common back office how we do that. So a lot of it... Uh, of the projects were actually not with DCO before they were with uh, what was called the big project team who did a good job of of putting this agenda forward it was handed over to us uh, in June so only since June was DCO asked okay take over these projects and now roll them out globally so our first focus was on human resources and capacity then getting the project plans ready for every of the projects you and I discussed Tabish there's global rollout plans who exactly indicate timelines and what is happening in the, for each project and what people can expect. So all of those are done now. The staff is on board now. The resource mobilization is starting. And we for the BOSS, for example, uh, we hope, uh, I think our target for December is 105 countries done with their BOSS. So not only does us gearing up and getting staff and doing doing the global rollout plan, but that's actual impact. The end goal is to get, of course, the UN country teams on the BOSS. So we hope to have 105 of those for the common back offices by the end of the year. Uh, we want to be well progressed into phase one, the 10 countries, with the design and the analytics uh, for their common back office, what that is going to look like. But we won't finish any of them this year. But because it takes a bit of time, usually around five or six months, to do a co- to design a common back office. But we hope to be well progressed.
0: Thank you, Lars, and Godspeed. I wish you and all of your colleagues a, a wonderful journey ahead. It was my pleasure. Thank you, Tabish. That was Lars Tsitsen, Chief of Country Business Strategy Branch at the United Nations Development Coordination Office. I thank you all for listening to the first episode of the CBS podcast. In the next episode, my guest and I will discuss the UN business operation strategy. To make this podcast better, Please share your ideas and comments with me. Thank you and talk to you soon.